Live. Welcome to Evolution Revolution with Dulcinea. Happy New Year's 2009. Welcome to a two-hour special tonight on Evolution Revolution. Awakening to life beyond the five senses can inspire the soul and reignite one's inner passion, offering truth, joy, and a deeper glimpse into the window of the eternal soul. Experience the extraordinary. Evolution Revolution is focused on offering the listeners intuitive and balanced information that fosters transformation both personally and globally, ultimately raising the consciousness on planet Earth. I am a metaphysician, clairvoyant and clairaudient intuitive, a writer, public speaker, PR marketer, personal advisor to visionaries, leader, and spiritual teacher. Please explore more on my website at www.evolutionrevolutionradio.com or at www.dulcineasdivinevision.com. And be sure to check out my new blog at www.evolutionrevolutionwithdulcinea.com. Thank you for joining the show this evening, wherever you may be listening. Tonight on Evolution Revolution, I am honored to have an appearance from Richard Lawrence, an international best-selling author of Unlock Your Psychic Powers, a former observer columnist and one of the UK's most popular spiritual teachers and psychic development instructors. Described by Spirit and Destiny as a world-renowned teacher of psychic development and meditation with a balanced and responsible spiritual approach combined with enthusiasm and a sense of humor. In addition to writing for The Observer, Richard has written for The Daily Express, Daily Mail, The Sun, Woman's World, Here's Health, Health and Fitness, and the USA's Whole Life Times and Phenomen News and New Zealand's Lifestyle Magazine, and has also appeared in several of Britain's national newspapers, magazines, and local papers. He has lectured in the USA, New Zealand, Australia, Belgium, Italy, Switzerland, and Nigeria, and for over 20 years has been a keynote speaker at the Mind, Body, Spirit Festivals in London. He has spoken internationally at various venues, including churches, synagogues, Buddhist temples, schools, universities, business conventions, charitable meetings, and numerous conventions and bookstores, as well as to an audience of thousands at an open-air pop concert. Richard makes frequent international media appearances to include a three-hour interview with George Norrie, the host of America's top late-night radio talk show, Coast to Coast AM, which is which is broadcast to around 500 radio stations in the U.S. and Canada and to more than 10 million listeners. His TV appearances include several editions of GMTV on topics ranging from UFOs to angels, from psychic powers to complementary medicine. These include BBC's One's Heaven Inner Show and ITV's Ultimate Questions with Martin Lewis. His TV appearances also include a host of documentaries and magazine programs on the terrestrial. Richard is currently co-hosting a monthly radio show as an expert on the paranormal called The Phenomenon Files on Smooth Radio. For decades, Richard has been involved in releasing X-Files, including CIA and Russian UFO papers. As a long-term colleague of contactee Dr. George King, founder of the Etheris Society, with whom he co-authored Contacts with the Gods from Space, 
No one is better qualified to explain the unexplainable. Richard is European Executive Secretary of the Etheric Society and a director of the Inner Potential Center in London. Richard's books, DVDs, and CDs have been sold in several countries, and language translations have included Italian, Spanish, German, Dutch, Portuguese, and French. During the next two-hour special with Richard, we will delve into his latest book release, Unlock Your Psychic Powers, and further explore the realms of the mysterious out-of-this-world phenomenon. Welcome, Richard. Thank you for joining me on Evolution Revolution this 2009. Thank you, Dulcinea. Happy New Year. Thank you, you as well. And Happy New Year to all your listeners. Wonderful. They appreciate that. So, Richard, when did you discover that you were psychic or experienced life beyond the five senses? Uh, you know, possibly unlike yourself, Dulcinea, I wasn't sort of born as a psychic child. I, I, I something that I, I developed. I practiced uh, a yoga, by which I mean the spiritual aspects of yoga, not so much the physical uh, aspects. You know, like the yoga nowadays is so misunderstood. People think it's mainly for slimming or keeping fit. But there's a wealth of spiritual philosophy and practice behind it. And it was that, really, and coming into contact with Dr. George King, whom you mentioned, I think that enabled me to unlock my psychic powers. Hence, I know that everyone can do this in one way or another. Wonderful. So what is being psychic? Um, Psychic is uh, a word, I suppose, that has many different meanings to different people. But to me, it's tapping into that which is beyond the purely physical, metaphysical, if you like. And also, I, I would like to say that I believe intuition to be the most valuable, the most important ability, if you like, in the psychic field. In some ways, it's above a psychic ability, uh, because with this, you tap into your inner voice, your higher self, if you like, and this will never let you down. I mean, we, sometimes we can get it wrong, especially when we're learning, but if we do really genuinely tap your intuition, it will always lead you in the right direction. Very valid, valid point. And in your book, Unlock Your Psychic Powers, I find that it was very well-rounded, and one of the valuable assets is that it's really a tool that can be used by a beginner or someone who is far in their process to develop and understand. I found so much information and just solidified my inner knowing as I was reading through the material. So I really want to commend you on the vast audience that this book is really targeted towards. Oh, thank you, Dosnea, because coming from you, that that carries a lot of weight because you are an experienced practitioner yourself. And uh, I've actually had a number of practicing psychics come to me for classes as well over the years because you can be extremely psychic and have a lot of... Uh, experiences are not and there's two things though that I think you need to be able to do one is to control those abilities which sounds easier than it is sometimes and the other is to be able to channel them in the right direction so you know you could be very psychic but not necessarily very helpful unless you knew how to use it Absolutely. And, you know, let's talk about controlling the skill somewhat. Mm. What do you recommend for someone who's in the elementary stage of developing their psychic powers? What would control mean at that level of awareness? Above all else, I think I would recommend breathing exercises or pranayama, as it's known in yoga, in in, in Chinese uh, or the, the Oriental cultures, it's referred to as qi, of course, this energy, or prana in the East. 
It's controlling that energy and breathing exercises. A good balanced system enables you to do that. It's a, a system that I use is published in a book called Realize Your Inner Potential, uh, published by the Ethereus Press. And this was co-authored, I co-authored this, I was honored to co-author this with Dr. George King, who was a master of yoga. The exercises in there are safe to use, and if you use them regularly, they will definitely enable you to control this ability, which I myself have had to, to do. Um, there is a force within us all referred to as Kundalini. I, I don't know whether you've covered that at all, Dulcinea, on your other programs. No, I'd love for you to elaborate. Well, within us all is a mystical force uh, known as Kundalini. Uh, this is the uh, Eastern term for it, the Sanskrit term for it. And it's depicted in ancient writings thousands of years old as being a three-and-a-half-coiled serpent. That's because we have seven major chakras or psychic centers within us, uh, the base of the spine center, the sex center, the solar plexus center, the heart center, which is in the center, not on the left-hand side, the throat center, uh, the Christ center, or third eye, as it's sometimes called, between the eyebrows, just above the roof of the nose, and Brahma chakra, or the crown center, on the top of the head. Now, the whole psychic journey is balancing out the use of these chakras and the many psychic uh, channels that connect them within what is called the aura. The aura is the psychic counterpart to the physical body, or if you like, the energy body. Uh, it's been photographed, it's been seen, a clairvoyant can see it. It's quite easy, actually, and I've taught thousands of people to start to see the aura. So it's not just a theory, it's something which you can actually detect. You can feel it sometimes through touch. And the whole balance of, of um, the, the, the more advanced yoga breathing exercises is to control the flow of energy within these psychic centers. All the psychic centers are good. They're all beneficial. But many people, most of us actually, don't have a complete balanced control over their usage. Now, the kundalini is the mystical force within us which flows up through these chakras as we start to develop ourselves, as we start to become more clairvoyant, clairaudient, and so on. So this, the kundalini is activated and starts to awaken, if you like, the higher psychic centers. The pranayama, which I mentioned, enables us to control this awakening so that we can switch it on and switch it off. You know, I, I'm sure you've met many psychics, and I certainly have very good ones, who can't switch off. And this kind of ability really, you know, I could talk at length about this, but it enables you to control that, to switch off, to say, right, now I'm going to, to, to be open to receive a communication, perhaps from a guide or a, a guardian angel, and now I am switching off, and I'm not going to be open to that. Because if you can't do that, then your life can become extremely difficult. Yes, and I do agree that the relevance and the importance of that for a beginner or a practitioner, because it really can deplete. Um, I think in the in the book you refer to it as recharging your battery in one of the yep. exercises. But I think that this point pertains to that idea is that we just become depleted. It's like a battery that's lost all of its juice if we remain unopened. I know, and it, I think we all know what it's like to be with someone who drains us. I mean, they may not mean to, or they might be quite sick themselves, but when you leave them, you feel as if your stomach has been completely, as you put it, drained out. There's nothing there. You've got no energy left. 
And this little exercise in the book, the battery charger exercise, enables you to charge up the solar plexus center, which is located just above the navel. That's why there's this old saying, contemplating your navel. It's actually the navel or solar plexus center, psychic center, which is our battery center. And just by placing the palms of the hands on that, uh, you can start to charge that up again when you feel depleted. And also protect yourself from any negative energies that are around. If, you, if you're in an office working or something and there's a lot of jealousy or, or, or perhaps somebody with a very bad temper and you don't want to pick up those vibes or pick up those energies, just by placing your right hand on the solar plexus just above the navel, the left hand on top, you, you'll protect yourself. You won't be so receptive to unwanted energies. Yes, and that's a very important point in developing psychic powers. You do a great job throughout the book, again, pointing out the ethics of, of developing the psychic powers through whichever the various avenues that you mention. But again, it's really important that people remain, as you said, in the light, in the good mm-hmm. with this. And when we dabble into the unseen, there is dark and there is light. So it's just important to be aware of protecting to remain in that light, in that truth. Absolutely. And I'm afraid so often this old saying, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, can (laughs) happen in this field because people can go in hoping to channel a benign and spiritual force. Their motive is good. Their intention is good. But unless they have the right spiritual grounding and the right practices, they could unwittingly Um, contact the wrong kind of force the wrong kind of energy and so you do need to keep very grounded as well i mean some of my students are taught to be grounded to have a sense of humor to have humility because some psychics can take themselves too seriously especially when you first start to develop and it's all larger than life and you need to keep very grounded as i said earlier be able to switch on and off and then it can be the most wonderful exciting adventure which is all designed and this is the point i'd really like to stress to help others. I mean, that should be the overriding motive in developing psychic powers, not to, you know, show off or to, you know, enhance your own power or something like that. That's not the correct motive, but to use it to help others. It will help you as well, but if your prime motive is service to others, then that's the most grounding, balancing force of all. Yes, and that is a very important point from my my perception as well, Mm -hmm. that if we do want to create light in the world and create service by becoming aware of our own energies and increasing our sensitivities or developing our psychic skills, it's important that we remember that, yes, we are focusing on ourselves and understanding the unseen, but the goal isn't to get lost in the unseen. It's to bring the gift and the love of the unseen onto the planet Earth so others can gain. So it's a win-win. Exactly. And I think then you see uh, the thing I would also stress, and I'm a tremendous believer in, is the karma will be right. Uh, karma is a very misunderstood word. I don't know over there so much, but certainly here, if you say you're going to get some karma, people immediately think it's something bad going to happen to them, uh, which is completely untrue. You can uh, and should always be creating positive karma, good karma. Karma is a wonderful thing. It's not out to punish anyone. It's a natural force, which is actually designed to help us to evolve. Evolution, revolution. It's uh, you know the revolution of the karmic wheel, brings evolution and that's what it's all about and so by making your motive service by helping others because what goes 
around comes around, you also will be helped and you'll be more protected. Very, very important point. I really appreciate that point. I think that if we all could resonate with that, it would be a much better world. <laughs> Absolutely. And, I mean, so many problems would be solved quite quickly because a lot of the problems on on this world, be it, you know, a breakdown in a family all the way through to a war between countries, is pretty ridiculous when you boil it down usually. I mean, it's pretty pointless and it could be quite easily solved if people just decided to do so. Yes, and on the point of karma, you have another book I'd like to just mention, The Little Book of Karma, if someone's mm. interested in more information on that topic because it's a hot topic, and I think mm. it is important for people um, all over the world to reiterate that good karma is possible and to manifest that good karma. I know in my own past, I wasn't really conscious. I had kept getting like past life readings of this karma, this karma. Mm. Oh, your life path has been karma. And it was it was a bombarding of the word karma, and I had, uh, of course, received a negative connotation. And yep. so I just had asked the universe, what is karma in a neutral place? Tell me what it is neutrally. Mm-hmm. And I, I looked up that afternoon in front of me, and, and there was a license plate, which is one of my forms of communication. Oh, and yeah. It said good karma, <laughs> and it just took me to the other end of the continuum to bring me to that neutral balance to really try to focus on creating good karma in the moment instead of focusing on what the past had manifested in, in karmic terms. Absolutely, and you know, it's, a, I think, a tribute to karma that there's been no really good translation of that word. So even in America, in Britain, and in Europe, and in different languages – The word karma is still used. I mean, people have tried to say it's destiny, it's fate, but it's not really. It's far more than either of those things. It's it's a a natural law. It includes your destiny, and if you want to call it that, it includes your fate, although that has the wrong connotation, I think, the word fate. But karma goes beyond that because it's something which is benign. It's something which is divine. Uh, it is in an aspect, really, of God or Brahma, whatever words you want to attribute to God, Allah, if you like, whatever words you use, you know, God is, is universal, and karma is the natural law uh, of the universe. Yes, and I'd like to add, I, my thought just appeared of dharma is the mm. duty of good karma. Yes, the, that Buddhist concept, absolutely, yes. And we all have our, our dharma to, to work out as well, yes. That's true. Yes, certainly. So why is personal experience key to understanding psychic development? Well, you know, for a long time, um, in a, and you mentioned I have a show over here in the UK called The Phenomena Files. Uh, and for a long time I produced evidence to people, facts and figures, data, statistical research. But I realized after a while, no matter what you tell people intellectually or even what you demonstrate to them you you could be a person who could bend spoons or or do something more useful than bending spoons like giving healing but you wouldn't prove to people what they can do and the whole idea of my book is to help people to unlock your psychic powers not me to tell you about my psychic powers or somebody else's but yours and so i realized that when people have the personal experience when they actually are able to heal, which I think is about the greatest psychic 
attribute anybody could have. The giving of healing is such a wonderful thing. Or when they're able to um, pick up uh, communication from a higher entity uh, who's on a higher realm, or when they're able to uh, clairvoyantly tell the state of a person and thereby give them some good guidance, or whatever it might be, when they've experienced that, uh, telepathy would be a good example, which I think lots of people, lots of listeners have had telepathic experience. They've, they've thought of someone and then the phone's rung and it's them, but it's not a person they'd been expecting to call or who should have called. They may not have heard of them f- for a year and suddenly they pop into their head and then the phone rings. And it's little things like that which show people, indicate to people their own potential. And that's why I think personal experience is, is the only yardstick in the end you can go by. Yes, I I would have to agree. And I think what your book does, Unlock Your Psychic Powers, and the approach you take is you offer your own personal experience and then the personal experience of your students being a teacher. And you allow people to grab the pieces that resonate with their own experience, and that is a great value in the book. Well, I have no special gift. I'm just an, an ordinary person like everybody else. And, you know, I just took up my my pursuit actually wasn't psychic in the beginning my pursuit was to know the meaning of life and you know I just woke up one morning and I remember it still when I was 14 years old and I suddenly wanted to know the meaning of life the day before it hadn't really bothered me and then the next day it did and I've never looked back really from then and it was in in the sort of part of that quest that my psychic abilities were developed as opposed to being something that I set out to do, and then I found that they could be used to help people, uh, mainly through three ways. I would say healing would be the most useful. Everyone can heal, and I strongly recommend people who are interested to take up healing, because if you do, you won't only help people, and this can be over a distance. You don't even have to be in their physical presence, but also you'll quite naturally start to develop in a very safe way your own psychic abilities so healing would be number one number two would be guidance you're able to give people guidance that is extremely useful because normally a person can only draw upon the information at their disposal and use their rational mind to analyze it and come to a conclusion if you have psychic abilities and especially the intuition you can go beyond that You can draw on information which isn't accessible to you uh, rationally, and that can really make all the difference in anything from a very serious matter to a rather trivial one, like where you're going to go on holiday. It can still be a useful ability. So guidance would be number two. And then thirdly, and this is more of a specialist thing, protection, giving people protection and buildings which need protection. Um, There's a tremendous need for this in this world and that's a a more specialist ability and you really should know what you're doing before you embark upon that but that i i have tremendous admiration for people who work in that area so those would be the three things and then perhaps a more unusual one would be channeling which i don't think everybody should be doing or trying to do but some of us have done that and it's uh, can be very inspirational Yes, we're speaking with Richard Lawrence, author of Unlock Your Psychic Powers. You can find his web link on the website www.evolutionrevolutionradio.com. You can also find him at his website link, www.richardlawrence.co.uk. 
Wonderful. So what is destiny, and how does it work in people's lives? Uh, I'm a great believer, Dothnea, in reincarnation. So I do believe as we're born into a life, we have chosen our parents, we've chosen our, our situation, and we have a destiny at birth, which an astrologer, a numerologist, and, and many other forms of divination, several of which I go into briefly in the book, you know, can help us to discover. But I'm also a believer that we can create our destiny as we go. So we all have a certain potential within a life. Uh, we can choose, really, how far we're going to fulfill that. We can't avoid that, but we can change it. Now, I know that sounds like a paradox, but if you go for any kind of psychic reading, um, the whole purpose of that reading is to enable you to take advantage of the positive aspects that you have in your destiny and to minimize the negative ones. Otherwise, there'd be no point in going for a reading. I'm not a believer in just fortune-telling. This is going to happen. Next year, you'll move house, and then the year after that, you'll get married. That, that really robs you of your free will if you just go along like that. But I am in favor of something that says you have the possibility, uh, and it's very fortunate for you, to move next year, and you need to be considering this, that, and the other uh, for the following spiritual reasons, and, and giving people something really useful to work with. And so I would say your destiny is your potential. It's certainly your karma, but we all change our karma 24 hours a day. Even in our sleep, our thought patterns are changing our karma. Wow, so really you're saying, what I'm hearing you say is that we're co-creating our destiny and through responsible choice and analysis, yes. we can choose to maximize the positive experience we would, we would call destiny. Absolutely. I mean, one of the most beautiful little karmic stories that, uh, that's in my little book of karma, actually, was a story uh, of someone who came to Gandhi and they had shot someone of the other religion. I, they were either a Hindu or a Muslim and they'd shot someone of the other religion and killed them in, in, in a dispute. And they went to Gandhi and confessed their sin and said, I've done this, uh, Master, uh, what should I do? It was a war, so it wasn't regarded as murder, but they felt very bad about it. They weren't a criminal, but they felt very badly, and they asked his advice. And he said, what you should do is adopt a child of that religion and bring them up as your own. Now, that, that to me is a, is a very constructive piece of karmic advice, because we all make mistakes. We can't rewrite the past, but we can do something about the future. We can create a positive future for others and for ourselves. We can learn the karmic lessons. I mean, the whole purpose of destiny is to enable us to manifest our potential within that life, but also to help us to learn the essential karmic lessons that we need to learn. If we know what those lessons are, we can learn them far more quickly and thereby we won't need to prolong any pain or suffering in our lives or the lives of others. That can be a very valuable learning tool in one's own process. Absolutely. I mean, for, let me give a, an example that the yogis uh, would give, uh, the yoga practitioners of, of the past. They would say that, let's say you had, for example, in your karma... Uh, someone that you had perhaps wronged in a former life and you had to meet up with that person again and you had to put that wrong right in this life and sure enough you met them. Now, let's say you were a man and the person you'd wronged was a woman. You could marry them and 
you could spend your whole life arguing with them and slowly and gradually trying to rectify the past in a very long, drawn-out manner until it was balanced, that karma was balanced and that lesson was learned. Or, they say, you could um, be in such a state of, of love, in such a state of compassion, you could have learned the lesson so much that you could virtually right that wrong in just one meeting uh, through your presence with them. So it's, it's up to us, really, how quickly we learn the lessons, but the lessons do have to be learned. Valuable point. I think that really keeps us humble as we go through our process. No matter how long we've been on a spiritual journey, we're still yeah. in that humble sense of something grander is bringing forth the lessons so we can evolve as a spirit. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the quote I often give is uh, attributed to Socrates, and he was asked, in fact, they were trying to trick him because, as I'm sure your listeners know, he was eventually convicted because he was asking too many questions, basically, and upsetting the people of, of ancient Greece at the time with his questioning and challenging the religions and the conventions of the day. And they were trying to trick him, and they said, are you uh, the wisest man in, in Ath- I think it was Athens or Greece, whichever it was? And he said, I, I am because I know what I don't know. That's the quote that's attributed to him. And I, I've always remembered that, to know what we don't know. I mean, you can be psychic, but, you know, you've got to know, I, for one, for example, am not an enlightened person. I'm on the road to enlightenment, but I wouldn't describe myself as enlightened by a long chalk. I've got much to learn, many lessons to learn. And so, you know, one then keeps a certain humility, and one says, yes, okay, I can channel, yes, I can heal, yes, I can have developed certain psychic abilities, but I've still got far more to know, far more to learn, and I can look to, um, you know, Dr. George King, I can look to people like Swami Vivekananda, I can look to someone like Madame Blavatsky, and I can say, yes, I've got a long way to go on this path. Yes, and in the book, Unlock Your Psychic Powers, one of the other points I want to make about it that I found was very exceptional is that you go to say that any of the methods, um, you define them as the faculties of intuitions, whether it be aura reading, intuitive readings, you know, psychometry, mm-hmm. um, whether it's clairvoyance, clairaudience, whatever it may be, there's a limitation to it and eventually an evolution will occur to, yes. to increase the awareness. So no matter which skill set, whether you're reading cards or, um, you know, reading auras or just being able to be, pick up on clairvoyant pictures, there still is in fact a limitation. And I think that is so important for people to understand. I mean, I've learned that really through experience and through having many students and teaching them to give readings. And the thing is that you could be a very accurate psychic, but not necessarily very helpful. And I come back always to intuition because your intuition guides you. It doesn't just pick up psychic things. And in fact, you might not be such a good psychic uh, but if you've got a very good intuition, you, you know, you will have you had some psychic abilities along the way or some psychic experiences of one kind or another. But if you've got that intuition, it's far more valuable because it will tell you what to do with it. I mean, let me give an example. And this is a bit of a, a tragic example, actually, but it does illustrate the point. Uh, I met a, a palmist over here who was a psychic palmist. So he, he didn't just follow the lines. He actually got psychic impressions from the palm of the hand. And he worked in a hospital as a hospital porter in London. And um, a man came to him and showed him his palm. 
And he said to him, you have tried to do something twice, and you have failed. You'll try again tonight, but this time you will succeed. And that night, the person committed suicide, and they had tried twice before. And this palmist came to see me very distraught, said he was never going to do it again, and you know, felt very guilty. Um, I don't think he should have felt so guilty, because I don't think he uh, caused this, but he did possibly empower it the point there is he was absolutely accurate from a psychic point of view but he wasn't helpful now had he listened not just to his psychic impression but gone deeper and got an intuitive impression he would have had a sense of foreboding he might not have been so impressive as a reader he might have had to ask him a question like have you tried something twice before which you're thinking of doing again and then the person might have opened up to him, and he might have been able to help that person more uh, while being, by being more intuitive about it. And, and this is the thing I've noticed. Another example I'll give, you, you'll get psychics who are very nice people. Uh, they're, 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 they're very benign people. They want to please. I think we all like to please people. And they have what I call sometimes a Father Christmas complex we just come out of the christmas season and you know they have this idea they want to give gifts to people and they they start picking up the thoughts quite accurately of the person they're giving a reading to but because they haven't developed themselves sufficiently they don't know they're picking up the thoughts they think they're picking up their future so for example they're sitting with someone who desperately wants to get married next month and they're getting an impression of this person getting married next month but it's not actually the future of the person, it's the desire of the person. And because they have what I'm calling a part of the Christmas complex, they're saying, oh, you will get married next month. And the person thinks, great, that's exactly what I want, How, what a good psychic you are, but it's not necessarily true. If they were to develop their intuition more, though, uh, they would be guided more to the accuracy of what they're giving, if, I, if I'm illustrating my point. I absolutely understand your point. I, I think that's a very, very valid point. And often, um, it's something I've encountered. I was trained at the Berkeley Psychic Institute in oh. San Francisco, uh-huh. um, just in, in my process. But although I realized I've always used my clairvoyance through school because I have a photographic memory. Right. So it was All very right. um, interlaced for me. The evolution was unconscious through the science and, and whatnot. I wasn't aware of the gift. And then I went to the institution, and I thought it was very valuable. It taught me tools to ground and protect. However, I found that it didn't leave room for any intuitive interpretation. It wanted me to simply read the energetic script, which, again, can have value. But I think that you bring up such an important point to bring in the human compassion element and to keep the the service at a higher level. Mm. You know, it's so true. I mean, I've... And I think people listening, um, if they're not so familiar with this subject, they'll realize this is a real science. This isn't just some sort of vagary or somebody's idea. It's quite a deep, a very deep thing we're talking about here, uh, which operates on many different levels. Now, I, I've run a class, for example, and I've had somebody come to it who's never had a psychic experience in their life. And they will then sit down, perhaps using crystal ball or perhaps using scrying with water, whatever method we're working with. And they'll pick up something like, um, you know, I, I remember one case, for example, somebody picked up um, a panther. Now, there aren't many people who actually have a panther, 
but the person they were working with owned a panther. They didn't know they owned a panther, but they picked it up. They could see it visually. They're very excited. Um, they, they, they'd got something very accurate, which you really wouldn't guess uh, in this day and age. But I said to them, yes, well, that's, that's good, but what use is it? That person already knew they have a panther. How is this helpful? That's your acid test, not is it impressive, is it useful? And that's really what I try to teach people to do. You know, I've sat in radio studios with top psychics. A very good friend of mine over here runs a thing called the Psychic Research Society in, in Great Britain. And he can sit in a radio studio, and I've sat with him many times, get a phone caller into the studio, and he can say, oh, you, you're wearing a green shirt, and your pink tie doesn't match the shirt, but uh, if you look down on the table, the clock there is saying uh, three minutes past nine. Well, really, it should say two minutes past nine, you know, which is extremely impressive. But as I, as I would say even to him, he hasn't really helped the person very much. Okay, they've changed their clock, and they might dress better. But it's not really useful, and that's what you should be using these abilities to do, to really help people in a most definite manner. Yes, and you know, I want to bring up the point of when I, ha I have found in my experience when I have a client come to me, whether it's on the phone or in person, for a reading, and they want me to give them the exact formula. They want the answer. They want the next step. Yeah. They want me to lay out everything. What I tell them is, I am here to read the energy and look at the pictures of what they're looking at in the moment. Mm. But ultimately, it sounds to me like they don't want to be accountable for their current life experience. Oh, yes. Because then so they can true. blame me if it doesn't yes. manifest exactly how I articulate in that current moment. <laughs> I know, no, that's very true. No, I mean, I, I don't give readings so much now just because I have lack of time. But I used to a lot, and I remember somebody coming up to me and saying, yes, you were right, I did go to Australia, like you said I would. And I thought, well, hang on, I hope you didn't go just because I said you would. And, <laughs> exactly. You know, it can be self-fulfilling, and people can try and pass over the responsibility for their life to their psychic, much as they would have done, you know, perhaps to a priest at one time or to some other uh, native uh, doctor or whatever it might be. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. I think... One has to, in fact, I believe that psychics really should be trained in some form of counselling as well, uh, if, they're, if they're practitioners. And likewise, though, I would also say that a counsellor should really be, if possible, trained in psychic and intuitive ability, because their counselling will be far better. Uh, you know, everyone is an individual, and if you're a counsellor and you just follow certain ground rules, certain theories, certain psychological uh, formulae, it's going to be limited, whereas if you have an intuitive ability, you can tape, you know, absolutely dovetail it in to the needs of that particular client. So I think both would be true, but counseling and psychic ability go hand in hand, really. Yes, yeah, so bringing people back to self-empowerment by making them aware of their ability to use free will in what I see in the readings, and I think as they develop their own psychic powers to become aware that they are their own best master, teacher, and healer. Their Absolutely. inner compass is you know, much more divine than anything outside of themselves, no matter who or what it may be. <laughs> yes, true. And also, I, another thing I always say is that psychic ability, even though I've written a book called Unlock Your Psychic Powers, psychic powers are not necessarily a good thing. Um, whereas intuition, as I said earlier, is always a good thing. 
Um, and spiritual powers are always a good thing. Psychic powers could be misused. Um, they could be, you could attempt to use them, for example, to control other people, which would be very wrong and something you should not do and something which, if you do try and do it, will rebound on you sooner or later in a negative way. Uh, but used in a spiritual context, then they can be wonderful, which brings us really always come back to service to others. And I think that's the thing to do, you know, develop your psychic abilities in one way or another and then just work and keep those with which you can serve others. And I think you'll kind of, after a while, you might, you'll go beyond the stage of psychic touch, clairvoyance and so on and move more into the intuitive area. You won't need a lot of the more basic psychic abilities. They're just a stepping stone, really, towards that deeper intuitive ability within you. Very, very valid point. In the book, I remember an analogy that you had offered about learning the skills of divination and learning to play a piece of music were parallel in terms of yes. the process that they yes. require. Would you elaborate on that? Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, I, I, my background was music, and I did a degree in music. And I think probably what you're referring to, the fact that you can learn a technique, uh, you can learn to play the piano or the violin or whatever it might be, and you can learn the technique. And once you've learnt it, once you've learnt the notes, perhaps, of a piece, then you can apply and put your feeling into it. Uh, but you do need to, to, to learn the technique. Is that, is that what you were referring to? Exactly, mm. exactly. Yeah. I think that technique is such an important part of the fundamental mm. development. And then yeah. I think you brought in the second element of really adding your unique flair, your, your, your unique um, lens yes. to and the perception. And you say so many people would try and sort of pass over the, 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 the dull bit, what they might think is the dull bit of learning the technique and the other thing I would also say is, just because you're going down a more psychic and intuitive route, don't throw away your ability to rationalize. Don't throw away the intellect completely, because it has a valid, a valid part to play. If you've got a, a good logical facility and you're intuitive, then you're going to be much better off than if you're just following your feelings, as it were. If you've got both, then you, you are more grounded and you can really start to use that ability. And so that's a bit like music too, because contrary to what many people think, music is a very mathematical, uh, scientific procedure, really. Yes, that, that's an important point. I think in my own development, I started out extremely logical in the scientific realm, um, in biology right. and psychology. And uh -huh. then I went to the extreme right end, um, you know, being in a yes. clairvoyant program. And right. I think that I've merged the two now where I really, um, for myself in my process, aim for a 50-50 balance. And I yes. think it's, it's really actually quite effective to keep the logic and then let, allow the intuition to, to synergize with that. And it helps you to control the emotions too because, uh, you know, if you're with a person and you really want to help them and you, you, you know, you don't want them to suffer and, you know, you, you, you don't really want to have to say things perhaps that are going to upset them, you do need that sort of grounded, uh, if you like, logical framework in which to operate. Because otherwise, you know, like the person with the Father Christmas complex, you can get carried away and you're picking up their thoughts and you're, you're telling them what they want to hear and they're all very pleased, but it isn't necessarily true. That's the and danger. I, 
I agree, and I think it goes back to really incorporating the balance of the mind and the spirit, and as you had mentioned, um, using spiritual training with counselor training. It's just optimal. Optimizing. Absolutely, and the other thing that I would stress, possibly above all else, which is the root of uh, what is called Raja Yoga, meditation, if you like, is concentration. You know, keeping one's mind fixed and concentrating on what one is actually trying to to work on. You know, not letting the mind wander. This is, again, why breathing exercises, pranayama, are extremely valuable. Another thing I would strongly recommend, also from the book Realize Your Inner Potential uh, by Dr. George King, uh, which is mantra yoga. And, and you can pick up, you can learn mantras in various places. Mantra is a wonderful way of doing several things, actually. But one of them is, is concentration, because you concentrate on one sound, a particular chant, a particular set of Sanskrit words, and you keep your mind focused on that to the exclusion of all else. And I think the difference between a really accurate psychic and one who is perhaps 80% accurate is their degree of concentration, their ability to stay focused on the client or the, the, the thing which they're, that they're concentrating on. If they're 80% accurate, it can be quite misleading, really, because they're telling you things that are very impressive, that you know are true, that you know they couldn't have guessed, they've proved themselves to you, but then the 20% that is wrong could really misdirect you. But if they had really top concentration they would eliminate those errors. Certainly. And one can develop concentration just simply through meditation, correct? Absolutely. I mean, it's actually the root um, of meditation. The the great, I think most yogi, uh, people from the yoga school, uh, would agree that the original source book of meditation is a book by uh, Sri Patanjali called the aphorisms of Patanjali, or the name given to it is How to Know God, which I think is a wonderful title, because it's not saying how to believe in God, how to have faith in God, it's saying how to know God. And of course that God is within us all, the divine self within us all. And the root of it is concentration. Even the highest degree of meditation is just an enhanced ability to concentrate over a prolonged period from which you can have you know, great bliss, tremendous inner peace, uh, but at the root of it is fixity of mind. And if you like, it's not forcing the mind, but it's directing it with a certain amount of effort and control down a particular route. Very, very helpful, and it's very powerful, and I think it can really, um, in essence, clear one's channel clear one's yes. energy field, the chakra system there being. It's like I'm, I'm plo- unclogging a sink, a dirty sink, and just allowing the flow to come through. Yes, it is. It's one of the images that uh, Dr. King gives it is of fishing, really. It's rather like being a fisherman, whether one agrees with fishing or not, but the image is that you are the fisherman. Your rod is your connection to your conscious mind, and the fish is your conscious mind. The thoughts that come into it, rather like radio waves come into a radio receiver set so as the fish grabs hold of the bait you've got the line you let it reel out you don't immediately try and reel it in or you might lose the fish so you it's quite a gentle thing it's not force but then after it's reeled out for a bit then at your own determination you start to reel in that fish then you're gaining control over your conscious mind 
and that can be extremely empowering and really bring balance to one's experience. Exactly. I mean, true meditation isn't a sort of uh, an exercise where you just let the mind wander where it wants. Sometimes you might do that just to relax the mind as a preliminary stage, particularly if you've got a very intense, highly stressed life. You might need to just kind of just gently let the mind uh, reel out like the fishing line. But actual meditation uh, is real concentration and starting to really focus it on one single source. And it's uh, incredibly empowering. Uh, and it gives you actually abilities in every area of life too. I mean, from your job to, to everything else that you do. It's really the key to unlocking your psychic powers. It is actually. Concentration is the key to spiritual development really. Providing the focus is a spiritual one. And then, of course, throw that in with service to others so your karma is right, and uh, it's a most exciting journey. What is ESP in all of this talk that we're engaging with today? ESP is extrasensory perception. It's a, it's a slightly old-fashioned term now, but it's, it's, I think you mentioned actually earlier on uh, the five senses and going beyond the five senses. Some people talk about a sixth sense. Actually, what we have is an extension of all the physical senses. Hence, you have clairvoyance, which is psychic vision, clairaudience, which is psychic hearing, psychic smell, psychic touch, through things like psychometry, and even psychic taste. You know, this old saying, I don't know whether you have it there, but we have a saying over here, I've got a funny taste in my mouth. When yes. you've got a sense of foreboding, that's a yes. psychic impression you're getting. I, I've met a couple of psychics, actually, who use taste as their foremost psychic sense. And from the tastes they start to detect, they can gauge a person's future and, and, and a lot about them. So all the senses can be used. They're extended rather like onto a higher frequency uh, of experience. Clairsentience is where you, you kind of pick up a person's emotions or feelings. I think lots of us do that. Somebody comes in the room, they haven't opened their mouth, you immediately know, not from their body language, but just from the vibrations, something about their state of being. Sometimes you may not be in the same room. You might kind of know without even being there, and you think, I must phone them up and see how they are, because I'm picking something up. That's clairsentience. And these are all aspects of ESP, or extrasensory perception. And then they, they sort of are, if you like, a, a route in to, to intuition, which is as I said earlier, goes even beyond that. That's your own inner voice. That can give you your answers. That's the difference, really. A psychic impression can tell you about a person, tell you about where they're at, tell you about their past, tell you about perhaps their future if they continue down the line they're going. But your intuition will give you the guidance as to what to do with it, what they should do, what you should do. Moment-to-moment -moment awareness. Absolutely, yeah. That's true. And, yes, and then ESP then can evolve into the larger understanding of the healing aspect of psychic powers. Well, that's the aspect which I, I really recommend above all others because healing is just a natural uh, way to help others to channel uh, the natural energies, prana, chi, uh, love energy, if you like, because it's only going to work if you have love or compassion in your heart. And that's the real ingredient of a healer. If you have that, 
you can heal. Anyone can learn to heal. If people want to know more about that, they can contact me through my website and I'll be glad to set them on the road to becoming a healer, either over a distance, and there's an ex- exercises in the book actually of how to send healing to others. But the other thing you'll do, as well as helping other people, as well as improving your own karma, you will also start to naturally develop your psychic abilities because as these energies course through your chakras, your nadis, the healing energies, they'll start to awaken uh, your higher aspects. So very often a healer, it might, you might even find it in, a, in actually a, a conventional doctor, they'll become more sensitive uh, to a person's needs and you'll start to pick up things about people and you'll be directed as to where and when they need the healing as well. Yes, really gauged into optimizing um, the healing abilities. Absolutely. I mean, the healing abilities are so natural. It's something, you know, a mother just rubs their, uh, the knee of a child who's fallen down. On the face of it, that's not a good thing to do, really. But it is because you're giving healing psychic touch. It really works. You might be going to visit somebody in a hospital, uh, and, in fact, you know, they need healing, and just by laying your hands on them, you might just be sitting with them holding their hands in hospital, but you're also giving them healing, you're channeling, you're visualizing white light, because white contains all the colors of the spectrum, flowing down through your head, down through your arms, out through the palms of your hands, and into that person. And sure enough, you'll be giving them healing, and it really does work. There's a lot more to it than that, but you know, everybody can make a start. With animals, animals can be very psychic, Animals can give and receive healing, and also plants. You can heal all aspects of life, including your car. I'm not going to say you won't need to go to a garage, but you know, by having good vibes, good love energy for machinery, it will make a difference. You know, that is so exciting, and I have to just validate. When I was about 19, I, hadn't, I wasn't really conscious of the process, but I had gone through a hypnosis workshop in my uh, introductory psychology course in college and then I wanted more so I went to a weekend and by Monday I started running white light through my body and through my hands I mean it was just so natural for me and then I had gotten an experience where I had used a friend's razor and had gotten a herpes outbreak in the middle of my leg they had had a cold sore on their lip a gentleman's razor and I went oh no I started crying. It was a Thanksgiving holiday. I just didn't know what to do. So I ran light through my body and ran light. I mean, this was, I was a novel. I really was not aware of how powerful my healing ability was Mm. at that point. And I went to the doctors. They did a blood test. They told me, oh, you know, you have this strain. It's don't worry. It's everyone has it, blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. I went home and I ran light, Richard, for three days straight. I went back to the doctors and I said, test my blood. It was gone, and he couldn't explain it. Mm. And I thought that was my first experience being 19 years old, not really having the conscious mental awareness Mm. of the ability to really use the healing abilities on myself, let alone others. I know people do need confidence. I remember I went to New Zealand, and um, I was actually uh, speaking at a a pop concert over there. But we we were giving healing to people at this whole event, it was a kind of weekend event, really, a festival. And I, just before I went there, I'd, I'd run a class in healing, and I'd had uh, about 20 students, I suppose, and one of them was extremely shy and lacked confidence. And 
I said to her, look, we're going off. We're going to be giving healing at this festival. Would you like to come and join us? And she said, oh, no, I, I, I can't actually heal. I just come and take courses. I don't really do it. And I said to her, well, I'm sorry. You know, if you don't come, then that, there's going to be so many patients there. There'll be quite a few who won't get healing at all. So, you, you know, you can only help. So she said, all right, then. So she came. That lady, who had no confidence in her own ability at all, completely healed somebody who was partially blind. They had uh, rimmed glasses which were so thick, you know, that, that they were a very thick lens indeed. They couldn't do anything without them. By the end of one healing treatment from this lady who didn't think she could heal, the person didn't need to use their glasses at all. Um, and it just shows, I mean, that to me was more beautiful than, you know, if some experienced healer had performed yeah. a miracle because it showed her what she could do, what everyone can do. And you never yeah. know, sometimes you'll give healing Nothing will seem to happen at all. It's all down to the karma of the situation of the person. But sometimes you could completely heal someone. You might even save someone's life. You just don't know what you might do. You might be the karmic agent to turn their life around at that moment. And it's putting yourself in that position to do it. Yes, we are all healers and we all have the ability to really transmute and bring light and love to others. And by unlocking your psychic powers and tapping into the truth of who you are, you can emanate that into the world. We're speaking with Richard Lawrence, author of Unlock Your Psychic Powers. You can find him on the web at www.richardlawrence.co. Dot UK or on www.evolutionrevolutionradio.com. You can catch up with Richard at some workshops and talks at um, God's Guides and Guardian Angels or on Unlock Your Psychic and Healing Powers. You can also find on his website some channeled writings, some great links, some inspirational links, some American radio shows, and of course for his upcoming event calendar for 2009, Please go on the web and explore and be sure to align with Richard sometime this year. So Richard, what's the overall value in developing one's psychic ability? Service to others. That is the value, really. It's a part of your own development. It's not the destination. I mean, being psychic is not the end of the road. Far from it. It's one of those things that can happen in, to different degrees to different people. I think we're all very different. I'm a person who's fascinated by it. I've decided to explore it and develop a variety of abilities. I'm interested in, in astral projection or out-of-body experiences, uh, channeling, and so on. But you don't need to do all these different things. But if you're developing on the road to enlightenment, uh, to uh, greater wisdom, to starting to raise the kundalini, which I mentioned earlier, to really start to awaken your inner potential, one of the hallmarks along the road will be psychic development. And your abilities in one way or another will, will come to the fore, especially intuition, as I mentioned earlier. But then, once you've done that, really, they're just there for you to use to serve others. You know, if you've got a, a, a broader vision of people's potential, if you can see more about them, uh, than just the physical eyes show you and so on, then you can help them more. Uh, and if you, of course, if you can heal, you can help them far more again. So that's the real motivation. And that motivation, if that is your motivation, it will protect you as well in your own development. Very, very nicely put. 
So pick up Unlock Your Psychic Powers. You can get it at www.amazon.com. You can also order it through Richard's website. So we'll be switching gears here into our second hour, and we'll be looking at you... UFO sightings and some really exciting information, Richard. So this is this is un un ter- we have not gone into this territory here on Evolution Revolution yet. So right. I'm really excited to introduce this. So I'm just going to let you lead us right into this. Okay. Well, the UFOs, of course, is a very ancient subject for a start. It's not something that just happened at the time of the Second World War and since. It goes back to the earliest documents on Earth, the Hindu scripts, of course, the Bible, Greek legends, uh, Native American legends, African legends, uh, Celtic legends from the British Isles, uh, certainly um, Maori traditions and so on. It's right across the board. It's a very ancient subject. On the whole, people who look into UFOs, they look into it from a, if you like, a physical perspective, uh, government cover-ups, which I've personally been looking into myself over the years, but they tend to look upon it as a purely materialistic phenomenon. My personal interest in it is spiritual. I believe it's a very spiritual phenomenon, and the Ethereum Society, of which I'm secretary, and uh, there is a website, by the way, for the Ethereum Society, <coughs> excuse me, which is www.ethereus, A-E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S, dot org will tell you more about the spiritual plan behind UFOs. That's wonderful, and I'd like to let our audience know that Aetherius.org is actually up on the Evolution Revolution website. We did a feature on the Aetherius Society with Chrissy Blaze on the 12 oh, Blessings. Great, celebrating that anniversary um, yes. 50 years. Yes. So I'll just let people connect to them through that episode and we can send them there for more information. Good. Let me actually, it's funny because Chrissy is a dear and old friend of mine. I've known her for decades actually because uh, she, she's from this country originally. Now she's up in, in Michigan. But when we were celebrating the 50th anniversary of the 12 Blessings last year um, in England about 135 of us went to a hill in North Devon in England which is in the southwest of England overlooking a place called the Bristol Channel over the sea there, uh, which we regard as a very holy spot in order to celebrate this. And we decided to send spiritual energy from this place to beings from other worlds. Normally we go there to send healing out for world peace and freedom and healing for the human race. But on this one occasion, and I believe it's the first time we've done this, we devoted the whole hour and a half on top of this hill, 135 of us, to sending thankfulness, appreciation, love, prayer, mantra to beings from other planets who we regard as spiritual uh, masters, uh, very wise beings who have looked over us and who help us. Well, within a matter of um, a couple of hours from this event on the 26th of July last year, came one of the biggest, and many say the biggest, uh, series of UFO sightings in the history of Britain. There was a, something like 200 uh, UFOs sighted up and down the country. The press was full of it. Um, just literally a few miles down the road from where we were was a fantastic sighting. Um, a, a whole family saw it. A UFO hovered over a house, uh, and then it was seen to dart off at a 40-degree angle. Another part of Devon 
uh, again a few miles away from where we were independent witnesses actually photographed a UFO which was published by one of our largest newspapers in Britain called the Daily Mail and then there were photographs taken literally all over the country the biggest selling daily newspaper in Britain the Sun published about half a dozen photos of UFOs and all these were taken as I say within hours of us doing this particular ritual now this I believe is a sign is a symbol that every step we take towards them they will take two towards us because the thing is Dalton Air many people say well if these beings is, exist if there are uh, spacecraft from other planets visiting us why don't they land openly why don't they land in front of the White House or in front of Buckingham Palace or something like that and prove themselves to everyone and the reason I believe is because they will not interfere with our free will they know how we'll react they have been fired at by missiles I have CIA papers which prove this and it's not just America I believe it's happened elsewhere too they have they have been treated with great hostility they don't mind in the sense that we can't do much to harm them they're far too advanced for that but they they don't wish to come into that environment but if we open ourselves up to them as we did on this hill in Devon then they will take two steps towards us and this whole series record series of sightings in Britain last year I don't believe was a coincidence that is just a phenomenal, phenomenal, um, simultaneous event, the synchronicity of the yeah. gathering. And the, were you meditating for that hour and a half to yes. invoke this? Yes, we, well, we used a mantra, chanting of mantra. And by the way, people came from various parts of the world, from Europe, from Africa even, to join us. So quite wow. a bit of effort was made by people. Uh, people took the whole weekend at their own expense, to come down and stay purely to do this, to climb this hill and to send out this energy. And so, you know, all that is karma. It's a karmic manipulation, if you like. Um, and yes, we used mantra, we used prayer combined, we used visualization, healing practices, all spiritual practices and exercises. And the focus on this particular day was sending energy to beings from other planets. It's not the first time, actually, that I've noticed this kind of thing. I wrote a book uh, with Dr. George King. In fact, it was the last book that was published in his lifetime called Contacts with the Gods from Space. And we did a, a tour with this book in, in the UK in 1996. And we went right across the country, and we started in a town called Leicester. We ended in a town called Torquay. I think we went to 22 cities in this tour. And what I do remember is that on the day of the first lecture on this book, Contacts with the Gods from Space, there was a sighting in the town we started at 6 p.m., two hours before the lecture at 8 p.m. And it was seen by dozens of people in Leicester, none of them connected with us, by the way, at all, all independent witnesses in that very town where we started the tour. We then travelled across the country. We ended up in Torquay in the south of England. And on the day that I arrived there for the last lecture, on the front page of the local newspaper was a, 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 an article saying UFO sighted, seen heading for Torquay. 
And, you know, I don't want people listening to think, well, Britain must be full of UFO reports all the time in the press, because it's not. It's a very cynical press here, very sceptical people in Britain, although recent opinion polls last year show that most people in Britain now believe in UFOs. They didn't used to, uh, but this is unusual. And again, I think it's a, a case of we take one step towards them. Our motive in this tour, it wasn't, it wasn't money-making. I don't take royalties from that particular book for myself. It all goes back into the work that we do, um, which is actually true of all my books now. Um, and the, the motive was to get the truth out about UFOs and beings from other planets. What happened? Two spectacular sightings at the beginning and end of the tour, which we couldn't have arranged, witnessed by people who had nothing to do with us, who didn't even know about the tour we were, we were conducting. Certainly, a, a lot of validation, again, with synchronicities. Mm. So so why would it be valuable for us as humans to encounter or interact with multidimensional beings or beings from other planets? We know on this Earth we have higher realms, and I, I've written quite a bit about this because uh, I'm able to channel messages from other realms of this Earth. In other words, people from this planet who have died and live in higher frequencies of existence that's not unusual uh, quite a few people can do this uh, i imagine perhaps you do it dulcinea i mean this is quite a well-known thing channeling and i've yes. written about it in god's guides and guardian angels the book i wrote but dr george king was far more advanced than i'm going you know i'm likely to be for a long time and he was able not just to do that but to channel beings from other planets who are far more advanced i mean these are the great i believe the great spiritual teachers of our history who've come down from other worlds to help us. Now people say, well, why would they bother with us? Uh, only because they're compassionate. That's the only reason they bother with us at all. And so to answer your question, they are here helping us, watching over us, particularly on the atomic issue. They, that there are some very interesting cases I could cite where they've intervened over atomic issues, such as Chernobyl, and others, and they are here to help us also to, to change the world because they know that the only lasting solution to the problems on this world are for a change of consciousness by hu humans. I mean, that may sound obvious, but you know, politics cannot provide lasting solutions. Politics can bring about, on a good day, a peace negotiation, but that peace negotiation will only last if the people involved want it to last. Uh, so the, their consciousness has to change. Money can solve certain problems, but you know, at the end of the day, if you have greed, if you have selfishness, uh, if you have idleness and so on, there will be inequality of wealth. But if consciousness changed, then poverty would disappear. And they know that, so they send down their spiritual energy in a variety of ways, and the Ethereum Society is one organization that cooperates with them, uh, but there are many people working with spiritual energy in different ways, uh, in order to bring about that change. And so I suppose that's really what they're concerned about. And when the human race do change, then they can come more openly among us. You know, I really like the point that you bring out as to when people, skeptics, ask, well, why don't they appear in front of me or in front of the mm. government or at mm. my church or wherever, you know, institution they may need that to appear at for their own being? And I think that free will is such a great answer to that 
to that yeah. question, to the skeptic, because if in fact you don't want to get married, the universe isn't going to bring a wedding ring to you. Oh, exactly. And I, I think also, you know, we have to sort of take on board the realities. I mean, they understand our psychology probably better than we understand it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And they know, you know, we can't look upon them and say, well, if they were there, they would do X, Y, and Z, because these are people, uh, beings from other worlds with a different kind of psychology from us. They know what we're going to do, how we're going to react. They know that people, some will be hostile, others will object to them being there, others will be lethargic and just ignore them anyway, and others such as myself would welcome them with open arms and be truly thrilled. They'll get all these different reactions. They'll certainly know they're dealing with nationalistic government policies in different nations who look upon them as a a defense issue and that's why they're so often kept in the defense files of various governments Uh, and they know all that better than we do so their timing is completely dependent upon our consciousness but in the ethereal society though on the positive side we are believers in a new age we are believers if you like in a golden age Uh, there's going to be many, many tests before then and and trials. But when that comes, we do believe they will come openly, they will land openly, we will, those of us here anyway, will know of their existence. Sure. So, you know, I have a question from a personal um, experience with this. That's being triggered as we discuss this. Are you familiar with what um, the group called the Palladians? I've, I'm, I've heard about it. I, I'm not an expert on it at all. Sure, sure. I had an experience in 2005. I'm just going to share briefly my own experience with this. Um, I was just in a very much of a spiritual development phase. I hadn't yet attended a clairvoyant program, but I was asking the universe questions daily. Living in the Redwoods um, in Marin County in the suburbs of San Francisco, a very spiritual community. And there is a, um, a, a Buddhist meditation center there in that small community that I was living in. And I had an experience um, during the night where I was taken into a classroom of the Pleiadians. It was the most sterile classroom. It was purely white, like the cleanest, most perfect hospital. Mm-hmm. And I was shown a globe, and I was shown um, the next level of destruction for humanity it, to create further evolution as a species. Right. And, and then I was brought, dropped back down, and when I woke up, I felt like I had experienced the most compassionate, loving, um, it, was, it was that indigo blue and white energy. That's the only two colors I remember was the white sterile nature of the classroom and the cleanliness and the love, the purity. That's mm-hmm. the word purity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the indigo energy of the beings. They were all indigo blue. Mm-hmm. And, was this, and, and that, that was all, all that I knew. Where were you when you, you were taken there? Um, I was in bed. I was living what? in the Redwoods, and it happened during the evening. And then I invoked it again in the middle of the day as I, man, as I did a, me, a higher self meditation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a second well, time. That's very interesting. I mean, I, I'm a great believer. Cause, you know, this, not talking about your case, but there are many, many people who talk about abductions um, now and being taken, you know, some of them are not pleasant. Yours was a very pleasant experience. Some of them are quite hostile. And I think one has to uh, be very careful and discriminate carefully because I, I do believe, and I'm, I'm not 
necessarily talking about your experience here at all, but I do believe that some people are having out-of-body experiences which they're attributing to alien beings, which actually come are beings from this planet. So one has to look at these cases very, very carefully indeed, I think. But obviously sure, your, your, you know, your case was a very benign, loving experience. And I must add that I had prior to this about three months been led to a bookstore with a book that had just been brought in that morning called mm-hmm. the Pleiadian Workbook. Right. So there was a, a female um, named Amora Kuan Yin out of Mount Shasta who had wrote a book parallel to Barbara Hand Clow. One was mm-hmm. the Pleiadian Agenda, one was the Pleiadian Workbook. Well, I was led to the workbook, right. and I thought, wow, this is phenomenal. I read the book, and I thought, well, mm. God, or universe, if this is really great, but if this is true, then I need a place who teaches this, and then I was mm. led to the Berkeley Psychic Institute. Well, really, that's interesting. Mm. So the experience happened between the two. So for me, there was a, a grander context of seeking. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had, I, I had an experience which uh, was very formative for me when I was up at university in the north of England. And i just come across the Aetherius Society. I was a student doing drama and music. And I was also very keen on sport. I used to play a game over here called squash, which I think in America is called racquetball. And I needed some gym shoes. And I also come across the Aetherius Society. And being a student, I had very little finance at all. And I had to make a choice between buying these trainers, gym shoes, or buying the material, the tapes and so on, from the Aetherius Society. And I decided to buy the tapes which were related to UFOs and beings from other worlds instead of the trainers. Well, just after that, there was a major UFO sighting in this area, which was seen by hundreds of people up in a place called Hull uh, in, in north, northern England, where William Wilberforce and others came from. And we went out to see this. And we, we, a friend of mine and I drove across uh, in our battered old car the country following this cylindrically shaped object, which hundreds of people were witnessing that night. It was moving very, very slowly across the sky. We parked the car. We walked across a field which was covered in dew, or perhaps it was rain, uh, to try and get a better view of this. As we stood there in front of a large oak tree, it moved very slowly across the sky until it was completely obscured and we couldn't see it anymore. Then we looked down, and under the tree was one brand new pair of trainers of my size. And I picked it up. And then we looked back, and then the UFO carried on, and then it eventually disappeared. Now, you know, I'm not for a minute saying the UFO left the trainers there or anything silly like that. But to me, it was a little example of what you referred to earlier, of synchronicity. It was a little sign to me that, you know, I'd given up buying trainers in order to study UFOs and cosmic truth. And then just after that was one of the biggest sightings of a UFO seen by many people. And what should I do in the middle of a field in the country but find a brand new pair of trainers of my size? Yes, that is so validating. And again, it goes back to the element of personal experience, the value of it. Yes, exactly, because it's not proof to anybody else. It may not sound like much to anybody else, but I knew what I'd done, and to me it was, Right, thank you. Uh, this is the right path to, to to travel. Yes, very validating. That's so exciting when we, we really feel that 
yes, I did make a positive decision for myself and I am pushing forward into greater territory. Absolutely. But the the great thing with, with um, UFOs, getting back to UFOs, is that they are, you know, every now and then people will come along and say, well, I don't think they exist, and I'm, you know, or I do think they exist, but there's no proof or something. But what they can't do is stop them coming, and they keep on being sighted. Uh, there's one particular craft, which in the Ethereum Society uh, we're very, very interested in, we believe in, which is called Satellite Number 3. That's the name that it's given. And this comes into orbit at certain times of the year. Uh, those dates were given in Dr. King's lifetime. He passed on in 1997, just after Contacts with the Gods from Space was published, actually. And in that book are these dates. And so people, also on our website, ethereus.org, people can get these dates. They don't have to be a member of the Ethereus Society. They could be anybody who's interested in healing, in, in prayer, in mantra, in positive meditations for the well-being of the planet, anything like that. And during those periods, their activities will be 3,000 times more powerful. That's the kind of activity these great beings are engaged in. They're not interfering with people. They're not forcing people to do anything. But if they do certain things, they will potentize those actions and make them even more effective than they would have been. So in using those dates um, that you just mentioned on the website, mm. how would you suggest that like someone like myself or someone pursuing those dates and the information and the connection work in sync with the quote-unquote gods from outer space? Well, thank you for that question, because that's really what it's all about. What I would do, and I know Chrissy spoke quite a bit about the 12 blessings, I would recommend that as a most wonderful practice to do at these times. But there are others. I mentioned mantra, uh, um, healing practices of all kinds. Any kind of benign, spiritual, unselfish prayers will help. Um, in fact, I've got a, a book on prayer coming out so shortly called On Prayer Energy. Um, th these techniques we'll use. There are some wonderful prayers from many cultures which are, are there to do good. Visualize the white light flowing through you. A very powerful time uh, within these periods of dates is the beginning and the end. So if you can get the exact beginning, the first date, when the orbit starts, and all this detail is on the website and in the book, or when it ends, the last hour, the first hour, these are very powerful times. And then just generally during that, uh, what we call spiritual push, we call them spiritual pushes or magnetization periods, enhance, increase your, your normal practices, your prayer, your mantra, even things like breathing exercises which will help you to be a better healing channel. Increase those and you should, in time, start to sense it. You start to feel the difference when you're in a spiritual push and when you're not. Very, very important. So it, it really is just about bringing forth the higher essence during those time periods to increase a greater energetic response. Exactly. It comes back to what I mentioned earlier, which is sending out spiritual energy to the world. This is the thing. This is the most valuable commodity, more valuable than money, more valuable, as I said earlier, than political negotiation, spiritual energy is what the world needs. And there are many, many ways of sending it out. I mean, you could be a complete atheist, but have such love, 
such compassion for people, not just your family and your friends and your local community, but people on the other side of the planet, in Sudan or wherever it might be. That is a form of spiritual energy which you're radiating uh, through your love and compassion. Uh, I think gradually, if you, if you do that, you will start to, 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 come, to become more in tune with spirituality and you might no longer be an atheist. But, you know, you could, anyone can do this. You could be helping a blind person to cross the road and that action will be potentized 3,000 times. And it's the energy, it's also the karma. You know, we're all the product of karma as individuals and as a human race. There's only one race on this earth. That's the human race. There's no barriers of nation, of class, of color. We're all one. And by engaging in positive spiritual actions, we'll change the karma for the good of the whole of the human race. And this will help all conditions on the planet. That is powerful. And I'd like to let our audience know, um, the previous episode that we recorded in 2008 with Chrissy Blaze is episode 21. Mm-hmm. And so you can go and find that in the, in the um, archives to be able to get an idea of what we're talking about here with the 12 blessings and sending out light. And again, that's just one suggested way that Richard and I are, are offering um, mm-hmm. to connect with these time frames to optimize the spiritual energy that showers upon Earth to open up our consciousness as a species. That's right. And another thing I, I should mention is if you're living in America, uh, the Ethereum Society has a free phone number, which is 1-800-800-1354. 1-800-800-1354. And you can ring them, and they will also put you in touch uh, with any activities that might be in your area, but we're not just in America, we're in Canada, we're in New Zealand, in Australia, across Europe, Africa, and certain parts of Asia we have members. And so, you know, we can perhaps put you in touch with other people who are working in this way, because if you work with others, it's that much more powerful. You can do a lot on your own, but if, you, if you're able to get to a group, uh, you can do even more. You know, one plus one is a lot more than two. Yes, and again, that number also, 800-800-1354, is up on the website in the episode 21 section, if you'd like further information on the Etheris Society. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very, very welcome. So let's describe the most advanced intelligence experience that you've personally encountered from another planet. Well, I've very, very privileged because um, I'm um, engaged in um, a program of missions which the Ethereum Society performs. And we perform a number of missions, and I, I I could mention several of them. But in these missions, we directly cooperate with beings from other worlds. For example, we have spiritual energy radiators. Now, this is a piece of apparatus Uh, of which we have four, and uh, we we hope to have more in the future, which are positioned in various parts of the world. And certain people who are extremely dedicated to the Ethereum Society, or through the Ethereum Society, are uh, allowed the privilege of operating this apparatus. And while they're operating it, spiritual energy is beamed down, um, either from satellite number three or another source from another world, onto that piece of apparatus, and then it is radiated around the world wherever it is most needed. So that, I would say, is a, a real privileged 
thing. The other thing I would say is that I did know Dr. King very well, and I worked with him, and I was with him on more than one occasion when he actually received a communication from another planet. And I remember one occasion, which turned out to be just a matter of minutes. And no, I must correct myself. I think it was about just over four hours before the Chernobyl disaster. And we, at the time, we were in a hotel in Arizona, uh, engaged in some spiritual activities in that region. And he received this communication, and he was told there was going to be a dire catastrophe uh, very shortly indeed, and we had to activate these spiritual energy radiators I've referred to so that we could bring about some intervention by UFOs in the Chernobyl situation. Actually, they didn't name it as Chernobyl, but in this situation in order to reduce the impact. Well, we started this program a matter of minutes before Chernobyl actually happened, and we continued this program for several days, and I think it was three or four days before the world at large even knew about Chernobyl. It was hushed up for some time. And then, indeed, uh, it was revealed. Now, reeling forward 16 years later, in a journal called Pravda, Russian journal, of course, it was published uh, for the first time that hundreds of people had witnessed a UFO hovering over the power station of Chernobyl where there was the disaster, that they had actually seen a crimson beam of light emitted by this UFO into the plant. And according to Pravna, Pravda, sorry, it minimized the effect of that catastrophe many times. And had it not done so, had there not been this UFO intervention, rather than being a steam explosion as it was, it would have been a much more severe nuclear explosion, and this would have caused terrible damage right across Europe and indeed to some extent across the world. So they published the fact that there had been UFO intervention 16 years after this experience I had with Dr. King where he had this communication where we started a program and by the way we did publish it in the year of Chernobyl that there had been UFO intervention in Chernobyl to reduce the impact and then that was confirmed 16 years later in Pravda powerful information. This really, really makes sense. I'm so excited we have this exciting, just wonderful topic on Evolution Revolution today. I think that there is so much fear in society and in the world about things we don't understand or things that we can't use complete logical mind um, cognition about. And I think that UFOs and life on other planets is one of those, are one of those topics that people's minds, they just cannot wrap their their mind around it. They just can't grasp it. And I think now that we are bringing here in this hour why, and you're bringing why across the globe, you know, continuously mm-hmm. through your works, I think that people can begin to grasp that there's value in interacting with a planet, with a life force from another planet or another dimension that can teach us and remind us of the truth of who we are. It's not to fear, it's to love. That's true. That's so true. And also, I think that what one realizes about this subject and the real spiritual aspect of this subject is that it takes some of the things perhaps we were talking about in the first hour, psychic things and so on, onto a global level. I mean, their concern is not even just for the human race. It's for the planet, the Mother Earth, Gaia, as the Greeks used to call her. They're very concerned with atomic uh, information. Uh, I'll give you another example. In 1958, 
uh, well before my time, but there was a, um, a, a, a communication which Dr. George King received, and he was in uh, the country, in, this, in England, in Devonshire at the time. He received a communication in which there were details given to him of an atomic uh, accident in Russia. Uh, he was told the numbers injured, the numbers killed, he was told, again, a bit like Chernobyl, there had been some intervention. It would have been far worse if they hadn't intervened. And it was published. He published it in 1958. Now, nobody talked about any accident. It was com not, not in the news. Here was one man in the countryside in England claiming to have a message from being from Mars, publishing this information. He circulated it. It was ignored. Eighteen years later, an exiled Soviet scientist and this was really where I first got involved in promoting the Ethereum Society, and it, because I got involved in this case in 1976, uh, called Dr. Zorez Medvedev, came out of, of the Soviet Union and released the details of this accident. It was published in a magazine over here, which is a very serious journal called New, The New Scientist. And the full details were published, including the approximate figures of dead and injured that uh, Dr. King had published from his contact back in 1958, 18 years earlier. Well, I went along with this, and I went to the BBC, the official nationwide news service in this country, and I took the whole story to them. They said to me, if you can get this man to put down on tape what you've told us, can confirm the details, they said, then you have proved your society to be true. I'll never forget those words. You have proved your society to be true. I went, I found Dr. Medvedev, who was lecturing in a university here. I did an interview with him. I got it on tape. He confirmed the information. I took it back to the BBC. The journalist who I'd spoken to had apparently disappeared. Nobody. I know this sounds hard to believe, but it is true. Nobody there said they knew him. He must have been a part-time worker. The interview that I'd recorded with him they said it wasn't there, it didn't exist. Nothing happened at all with this story. Um, I carried on working with a new scientist for 18 months, and eventually I got them to admit in print, and it's in, if anyone wants to look it up, it's in, on April the 27th, 1978, that they had been scooped by a UFO. So, you know, the, there is evidence of the Ethereum Society. It's a genuine organization, but the, the issues that the beings from other worlds are concerned with are global issues, saving the planet, saving the human race, preparing for the new age. These are the things that, that bring them here. Yes, and again, I just want to enlighten um, the audience with my own personal experience was very similar. They explained to me that they would intervene with nuclear um, situations, anything that was self-destruction for Earth the, her, her inhabitants, they would be willing to interfere. However, they did not want to impinge upon free will. And that they were to help guide us back to our truth, knowing that we were in a resistant state because we were headed upon our greatest opportunity for transformation as a larger species. So this information that you're presenting here and with the reasons of why align with my own personal experience. And you and I had not talked about this prior no, to our not at all. To now. Not at all. And there, there are many um, UFO contactee claims from the 1950s when Dr. King first had his contact 
which also tally with the warnings about the, the, the nuclear dangers was a very big concern to them because it doesn't just affect the human race, it affects the whole balance of the solar yes. system and the cosmos as well. You know, yes. another interesting thing which has happened is that people are much more open now to higher dimensional life, of course, than they were. I mean, Dr. King in the 1950s was talking then about higher dimensional life uh, life on higher planes of existence, higher realms, higher frequencies. Now, of course, science has confirmed all of this. We now know we live in a multidimensional universe. Uh, we now know that there's such a thing as invisible matter. Uh, now, you know, scientists have, have changed their mind and said, yes, there are speeds faster than light uh, and so on. Now we have a man over here who's a very top scientist. We call him the Astronomer Royal in this country, Sir Martin Rees and did an interview with him on a radio station, and he said we must open our, our, our minds to life on planets like Mars, Venus, Jupiter, Saturn, not just some planet way out there in the universe which can sustain life as we know it. We've got to look to life not as we know it. You know, it's an incredible thing, Dulcinea, when you think that 400 years ago, most people believed the universe revolved around us. You know, it was Copernicus and Galileo came along and said, no, we revolve around the sun. And they were completely unacceptable. Galileo had to recant because this was not acceptable only 400 years ago. They couldn't conceive of a universe in which we were just a small part. And now you have the sort of dogma, and scientists can be just as dogmatic as orthodox religions. Uh, and you have this dogma that, you know, if we can't live somewhere, nobody else can. Life has to sustain us. Life has to be visible to us. Otherwise, it doesn't exist. That's just another dogma, which is, uh, I'm glad to say, is disappearing. That is very true. It's the old paradigm, out with the old and in with the new. <laughs> Absolutely right, yes. Yes, and I'd like to also mention that um, during the hour with Christy, we did talk about how Dr. George King was very evolved for his generation, in essence, a mm -hmm. pioneer, and mm -hmm. he was conscious that he had received the 12 blessings and a lot of his information way prior to the, the actual expectation that it would arrive on Earth, and that was because we as a species needed it earlier than they had anticipated. That's so he was true. one of the catalysts for that, and I want to let people know that, that the fundamental constructs of the etheric society are based around Dr. George King's enlightened experiences, truths, and teachings. And again, he was setting a pioneer tone in the 1950s for what today is being called as the New Age shift in thought. Absolutely. He was way ahead of his time because in the 1950s in Britain, as I'm sure in America, people were very conservative. It's hard to remember this was a time when people would, wouldn't, if they went to post a letter, they would put a tie and a jacket on the men to go out. You know, and women would never wear trousers. And it was a very conservative time. Uh, you, you had to be very careful what you said and watch your P's and your Q's, as they used to say. And here was a man in the middle of that period coming out and saying he was in contact with Mars and Venus, um, that he was a medium, extremely controversial. Uh, he had a lot of bravery. He wasn't a man who particularly enjoyed publicity or promotion um, but he was a person who was intent on spreading the truth that's what he was really interested in and he did and he and many of the things he said then 
are now just generally accepted. I mean, I'll just give you one example. In 1958, over 50 years ago, he organised a rally and a march across London from a place called Marble Arch all the way to Trafalgar Square, if people know it. There were 1,500 people at the start of it, uh, and, and they were demanding the truth about UFOs. They were demanding to know um, the, the, what the governments knew about it. Now, this was an extremely controversial thing to say in the 1950s. Um, the governments completely denied having any knowledge of UFOs in that period. I remember in the 1970s lecturing on UFOs, and if you talk then about a government cover-up, you were regarded as a bit of a paranoid nutter, and the governments denied having anything then. Never mind the 50s. Now, here we are in 2009, just, and everybody believes in government cover-ups. Nobody believes governments about very much at all. And most people believe that we haven't been told the truth about UFOs, and it's provable because CIA documents, uh, Ministry of Defense documents in Britain and other countries, the Soviet Union, absolutely prove that they've known about this for decades. Why, in fact, do these structured systems perceive these UFOs, encounters, and appearances as a threat? What's, what's well, the problem? What we were told was, uh, and this is in, in transmissions or communications that Dr. King received as early as the 1950s, is that the government didn't want people to look towards them, the UFOs, for answers. The governments knew about them. They didn't want to come forward and say, look, we have information about UFOs. We don't know what, where they are. We can't answer your questions. No government likes to admit that they don't know the answers. And so they, they covered it up. And then later on, of course, and even now, you get some people putting it about that they're, they're hostile to cause fear, which they are not hostile. They were hostile. They wouldn't be coming down and just picking somebody out of their bed and conducting some surgical operation on them. They could take over a hospital very easily. They could take over the world very easily. Uh, you wouldn't have, you know, the president of America in a plane like in Independence Day, defending us all, um, we wouldn't stand a chance. But they, thank God, they are friendly, compassionate beings. You know, beings like, and I know this is controversial, but beings like Jesus, beings like Buddha, beings like Sri Krishna, I believe, all came from other planets uh, to help us, to teach us. Uh, and so, therefore, there's nothing to be frightened of. They're friendly, they're real, they're compassionate. But the governments don't want to admit that they really don't know the answers. They, they haven't been able to, to keep it quiet any longer. There's a massive disclosure campaign, so the truth is out, really. But only some of it. They're not telling us everything they know, even now. Certainly, it requires a very humble leader, uh, and politics, as we know, in general, in the human realm, is not necessarily a humble game, um, to admit what it, one doesn't know, as we discussed in the first hour on an individual level. So that, that can explain why the governments then choose to not acknowledge the value in UFO sightings and to acknowledge their, their willingness to assist our evolution and possible transformation into what we would call the golden age. That is so true. That is so true. And, and you know, on the positive side, rather be positive than negative, they could. I mean, a leader could come along and say, look, I don't agree with what my predecessors did. We have covered up about this. We don't know all the answers. 
we are one race. This is not something for America or Britain or Russia or any or China or any one country. We're just one race, and let's all come together and let's welcome these wonderful beings. They're obviously benign. They're obviously friendly. If they weren't, they could easily have invaded us. They have a technology vastly superior to ours. They couldn't even get here if they didn't. So let's just all come together and welcome it. I mean, a really brave leader could do that, but of course they'd be frightened of ridicule, they'd be frightened of the questions they'd get in the press conference, and just the day-to-day management of news. That, that's the problem, I'm afraid, at the moment with politicians. Certainly, certainly. Well, what that then shifts in from my belief system and my research is just really looking at the norm, people like yourself and myself and people who are in everyday society to embrace this because we are the hunk, we are the mass. And so if we begin to embrace this as the mass, that's then true. eventually it will trickle backwards. Well, that's what they've said in their, in their communications, and I really do recommend to people, you know, let me say this, I don't expect anybody listening to this program to take my word for the fact that Dr. George King was a genuine contactee with beings from other planets. Uh, I'm, I'm fortunate because I knew him, and I know that he's genuine, um, you know, because I knew him, and that's, I'm very lucky. And I, I, when you see someone at close quarters and you work with them, you know what, what, what makes them tick. But I don't expect people just to take my word for that. I'm asking them, I'm suggesting to them, that they investigate it and form their own conclusions. And there are some wonderful uh, communications. And, and I would go by the merit of things like Chrissy was talking about, the, the 12 blessings. Uh, these are messages given, as you rightly say, to the masses, to ordinary people. Those are the people they're appealing to, not to kings and not to uh, politicians and presidents or whatever it might be, but to the world as a whole, the ordinary people. Those are the people who, who can really change the karma of the human race. That is so important, and that's really why we're all here ultimately. We're here to shift our our being into a higher essence, into a grander understanding, and what better way to optimize and merge with the spiritual world on earth and beyond. And what greater time to choose to do it than on New Year's Day. Here we are in a new year, and this is a wonderful time to make a start. I mean, if you're a person who perhaps is interested in spiritual things, but you haven't yet sort of got involved, you haven't tried healing, you haven't tried uh, prana, uh, yama, you haven't tried prayer, mantra, whatever it might be, now is the time where to make a start. Because really, the one thing I would say about the new age, the Aquarian age, if you like, is that it's a time of practice. It's a time of doing things. It's not a time of, of discussion, theory, um, alone. It's a time to test things out in your own life and see whether they work. And believe me, if you, if you put into practice some of the teachings that the Ethereum Society has been given, you will absolutely have it confirmed to you. And personal experience is best. <laughs> it certainly is. You know, A lot of people try to play down personal experience. and It's a shame because it's the only way that you really know for yourself. I would have to agree, and for me, my experience, I was a scientist, I was in the lab isolating DNA, and then I evolved really? working with psychology, yes, and I mm. really, I remember I was in history of psychology, it was a philosophy class about the history of 
psychology and its evolution, and mm-hmm. I recall Gestalt way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And they said, Gestalt is based on experience. And I raised mm-hmm. my hand and went, I absolutely advocate that. And everyone in my class looked at me like, you are a scientist. You don't agree. And I was like, no, I do. My experience speaks louder than any you can provide me evidence for A, B, through Z. And the bottom line is it doesn't resonate with my personal experience. It's not true for me. <laughs> well, that's not... I really would like to congratulate you because so much of science, you are sort of trained, programmed, whatever the word is, to be objective. And I'm not against being objective, but the subjective world is completely dismissed. Wrongly, I think, because at the end of the day, it's a subjective world that we all go on. I mean, we don't marry someone or have a partner because we've got objective evidence that they're the right person for us we, we do it because we know inside and, and most of our important decisions are made like that and so is the quest for spiritual truth really made like that that's why as I come back to the, 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 the text I mentioned earlier by Sri Patanjali how to know God not how to believe in it not to how to prove it how to know God from your own personal experience there's no better way. There, there is isn't. no better way. There isn't. And in this day and age, when you know, I think we've talked quite a bit about this, but one when service is the real answer, service is the way, not actually even meditation, but service to others, that's the way really forward. Um, then I think you know, again, you go by personal experience. You you try giving healing. You you try teaching people, helping people to find a way, working for a cause. These are the things which will change your karma and everybody else's too for the good. Absolutely. And I think there is no better reason to be on earth than to serve yourself and humanity for the higher good of all. I couldn't agree more. And, of course, the other thing I would just say is you do need a bit of bravery. The, the, if I was to recommend one book above all other books, it wouldn't even be a book I've written it would be a book called The Nine Freedoms by Dr. George King. That's a book which spells out the, the personal evolution of each one of us. And it gives the hallmarks along the way now in this and the future, uh, in the new age and so forth, and all the way up to the new age. And the very first of these nine freedoms is bravery. I mean, I think it takes some bravery to do what you've done, if you don't mind me saying, Dulcinea, and set up a a station like this, putting out this kind of truth, this kind of knowledge to people. Uh, It takes some bravery for somebody listening to this to take it on board, to break free perhaps from the conditioning that they were born into and make their own choices, their own decisions, formulate their own beliefs and, and then to stand up for them and then to work for them. All that takes bravery, but the outcome can be our enlightenment. Yes, and I thank you for that. That is very true. And and I think that as we become more empowered and enlightened, we desire more freedom, and our willingness to be brave increases. It, it's just, it yes. gets the, the drive gets stronger and That's more so powerful. True. That is so true, because, you know, it's the, the yogis have a very simple approach, which is that we have a higher self and a lower self. And, you know, every time we listen to the lower self, which is governed by, among other things, fear, then we empower it. Once we break free from it, it does get easier because we've empowered then the higher self and one can, you know, new tests will come along, but it's so much easier to do those things. What seemed difficult yesterday becomes easier today. Likewise with positive thinking. 
if one gets into the habit of thinking positively, it becomes much more natural to us. And, and it, we just start to become quite naturally a more positive person. But it's breaking the cycle and, and, and just giving, empowering the higher self in our lives. Yes, you know, I was heard uh, on one of my previous shows, a guest had said, you know, it's a one-car garage. You either park your higher self or you park your ego mind. Which do you desire? (laughs) I I thought it was a great analogy. And actually I have on my wall, um, which, what are you parking in your one-car garage? And the answer I wrote is your higher self. (laughs) Yes, that's so true. And, of course, the beauty is that the higher self is is real, so you know it's there. It's not just sort of some something we've dreamt up. It's the lower self is something which changes and starts to get transmuted, and then you know we we there's, there's a wonderful transmission as we call them from a being from Jupiter to Dr. King uh, in I think in probably the late fifties or maybe the early sixties, in which he said that you you people of Earth you wouldn't dangle your foot in a basin of acid. But you do worse than that with your souls. And it's so true of the human race in general. We limit ourselves. We, we think we can't do various things. We think we have to you know, rob ourselves of, spir- of a spiritual life, of spiritual beliefs, and be so limited and so imprisoned. Actually, we can break free from this conditioning, and, and the results are truly inspiring. And I think that that is where we each sense the greatest essence of our spirit is when we do break free and grab a greater sense of our soul. It it just drives our being. I mean, we become transformed when we can bring our soul to the light in in baby steps. Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, again, I have to to keep coming back. I'm afraid, sorry to keep repeating myself, but the key again is service because – once, once, I suppose, really, the first steps in the nine freedoms are bravery, as I mentioned. The second one is love, because one has to have that love to motivate us. You know, love in the heart. And some people can say, well, you know, I don't feel this love. I don't feel compassion for others. What do I do about it? Well, you can cultivate it. You, you know, it's not something you just have to wait and hope for. It's something you can cultivate, you can practice, you can do various spiritual practices, because your heart center, your heart chakra is open to those energies. By channeling them, you will feel more love. And then the one thing you want to do to express that love is serve others. And then you really are on the road to enlightenment. The path of service is the path of enlightenment. And I I couldn't agree more in my own journey, in my own experience. And I think that's the teaching of most great masters, whether from the East or the West. Mm Mm-hmm. So how, let's recap on the, um, how the first hour and sending energy and being aware of our psychic being really incorporates into multidimensional experiences and life on other planets. And what's, let's overview that big picture to really, really give our audience a grasp of why the big picture to the details matter in this shift in consciousness at this time. Well, I suppose the... Um first part we were talking about unlocking your own psychic powers and and above all i mentioned healing and this is if you like working on a personal level and then once we get into the cosmic aspect which is much higher uh, and more important we're talking then about the global level humanity as a whole and i think that is the way forward Um, you know one can look at 
the very essence of Christianity. I'm not necessarily talking about church here, but the essence of what Christianity is, and it's loving others, loving your brother as yourself, uh, and helping other people. Now we're moving to a phase in this new age where we're not just dealing on this individual level, we're dealing on more of a global level. And this is what the cosmic beings regard us as. They don't regard us as Chinese, African, British. They regard us as human, the human race. We should regard the people of Indonesia or you know, Siberia as just as much related to us as the people in our own families, in our own communities. We're all part of this one approach. And I think that is what comes with this, if you like, the cosmic concept this universal love for all life, and indeed, above all, perhaps, the planet on which we exist. We are speaking with author and teacher Richard Lawrence, author of Unlock Your Psychic Powers, and pioneer in the UK and globally on UFO sightings and out-of-this-world experiences. Each of us has a unique spiritual destiny on Earth, only to be revealed by the inner self. Only as one seeks their heart and looks within can the destiny unveil itself as it eternally awaits to reveal itself in your highest expression. Earth is a place to discover the infinite nature of your spiritual being, whether it is through psychic development, awareness of life beyond the human existence, or in another way that resonates with your higher self. As you explore your true light nature, radiate that inner essence to the world in a way that shines and expresses your individual divine talents to transform humanity in a positive and uplifting way. Create a miracle in 2009. See it and believe it. Please join Evolution Revolution for a fantastic guest lineup for 2009 to include Michael Tamora, Chrissy Blaze, Egan Sanders, and many more phenomenal individuals. Please explore more on my website at www.evolutionrevolutionradio.com under Upcoming Shows. You can purchase all of the author's books featured on Evolution Revolution at www.amazon.com or link up to their individual websites through the Evolution Revolution homepage. Please join me in the upcoming weeks and months on the revolutionary independent production of Evolution Revolution. Additionally, please explore the Evolution Revolution archive shows with inspirational authors at www.evolutionrevolutionradio.com or on iTunes just featured recently in the last few months. Very exciting. The archive shows are available 24-7. They are at no charge, and they include amazing talent such as Jerry Wenstrom, Albert Clayton Golden, Barbara Marks Hubbard, Chrissy Blaze, Barbara Han Clow, Robert Schwartz, Dr. Susan Carroll, Robert Bruce, Sarah McLean, Jocelyn Chaplin, Carol Obley, Michael Tamora, Michelle Prosser, Debbie Jordan, Alan Arcieri, Chrissy and Gary Blaze, Jana Hollingsworth, Marcia Scarborough, Evo Dominguez Jr., Michael Skorowski, Karen Sawyer, Dr. Daniel Condren, Dr. Laurel Clark, Gary Zukoff and Linda Francis, Dr. Adrian Windsor, Neil Donald Walsh, Taylor Wilshire, Dr. Barbara Condren, and more. All Evolution Revolution archives are available on iTunes and again on the Evolution Revolution homepage. 
please share Evolution Revolution with others who may desire to join us in the future for an enlightening experience. I am a metaphysical teacher, healer, and spiritual counselor who offers clairvoyant readings via phone, allowing me to connect with people anywhere. You can visit me on the website at www.dulcineasdivinevision.com under the clairvoyant reading page, which includes testimonials from my clients and my contact information. A divine and spiritually enlightening experience awaits you. Also, visit the new blog at www.evolutionrevolutionwithdulcinea.com for weekly postings and guest announcements for Evolution Revolution. I'm also excited to announce my new MySpace page at www.myspace.com backslash Dulcinea Contreras for live listening and Evolution Revolution updates. Co-create with Evolution Revolution. We are seeking partners to help Evolution Revolution evolve and expand to even more people across the globe. If you are interested in partnering and supporting the rapid development of Evolution Revolution, please explore the Radio Sponsors tab at www.evolutionrevolutionradio.com. I look forward to hearing from you about the infinite possibilities to co-create in the highest light and with the grandest intentions. Thank you for joining Evolution Revolution this evening in our two-hour special with my honored guest, Richard Lawrence. Thank you so kindly, Richard. That's been a real pleasure, and I'd like to wish everyone a very happy new year, and God bless all your listeners. Thank you. We look forward to connecting with you in the future, and again, I'd like to let you know you can connect with Richard at www.richardlawrence.co.uk. Much gratitude to you for listening and supporting Evolution Revolution Radio. Happy New Year. I wish everyone abundant prosperity, peace, love, miracles, and a most joyful year. Make it extraordinary. Abundant angel blessings. Good night.